What is wisdom? We cannot behave as wise people if we do not know what wisdom is. The Apostle Paul tells us that we can be addressed as somebody who is wise. Walk, he says, not as fools, but as wise. Because you are wise, act as wise people. He tells us how this wisdom, which is in us, reveals itself. Or we could say, we see the results to which this wisdom leads. It means that we have vision and can see the result of our actions. The Bible fundamentally says that the man who is not a child of God and who is not a believer is ultimately a fool. The fool has said in his heart that there is no God. The Christian life is the only sane life, according to the inspired written word of God. Today's differing things looks at how the West is becoming the ultimate fool. Now for today's host, Bill Petrie. I'm going to begin this Differing Things podcast by reading a quote to you, and then I will let you know who said it. Here's the quote. The rank and file are usually much more primitive than we imagine. Propaganda must therefore always be essentially simple and repetitious. The most brilliant propagandist technique will yield no success unless one fundamental principle is born in mind constantly. It must confine itself to a few points and repeat them over and over. The author of that quote was Joseph Goebbels, the Nazi propaganda minister. For a long time, leaders of countries have been able to recognize how to manipulate people. Long before there was television, Images were placed for playback in Western society's memory banks. First, we had the print media, then radio, and then starting early in the 20th century with the first of the real mass media, the movies. Hollywood is a component of a media cartel, a point made more obvious by the creation of entertainment conglomerates through mergers and acquisitions. In this way, a mere handful of companies with interlocking boards composed of people within elite groups control all of what we see in theaters, on television, in the print media, and more lately on the internet. As movies were becoming a truly mass media phenomenon, commentator Walter Lippmann described their power, along with the power of media generally, in shaping public opinion. In his 1921 classic handbook on the mass manipulation of the public mind, titled Public Opinion, Lippmann writes in his introductory chapter the following, and I quote, Public opinion deals with indirect, unseen, and puzzling facts, and there is nothing obvious about them. The pictures inside the heads of these human beings, the pictures of themselves, of others, of their needs, purposes, and relationships are their opinions. Those pictures acted on by groups of people or by individuals acting in the name of groups are public opinion with capital letters. The picture inside the head so often misleads men 
in their dealings with the world outside. End of quote. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, and Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25 tell us, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. We certainly do see that in Western societies today. Not only are minds being manipulated, but people are willingly going down the path of that deception. Human reasoning has led mankind astray enough times to show that even the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Many people look to psychiatrists and psychologists for insights and solutions to life's problems. But God inspired the Apostle Paul to write in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this eon? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of of this world? That certainly is a true and pointed statement that some of the information that comes from the world and that is funneled into the heads of the children in the public schools is useless information. Public opinion is often synonymous with foolishness. There is something called the six-step attitudinal change plan which gives government planners the ability to silently, almost invisibly change the attitudes and values of the entire population of a society. They must achieve this goal before they stage the appearance of their new world order. Their plan goes on no matter what. Nothing seems so insidious to most people, is the idea that some force is silently, invisibly, and covertly manipulating and changing their lives. Nobody likes being manipulated, and it is more dangerous if they do not know that it is happening to them. Today, people are being secretly and invisibly bombarded with propaganda through social debates in the media. Often, the public is set up with deliberately created or triggered situations, specifically designed to change our values and attitudes on a grand scale, unlike any seen before in the history of mankind. The media are some of the main tools used to brainwash the masses, we are all being brutally molested by television, movies, and the print media. This molestation is not sexual. It is mental, emotional, and above all, spiritual. There is a conscious, organized effort to deceive us in every area of life. More specifically than that, there is an organized plan to subtly push us into the global communitarian world. This process 
is called the Attitudinal Change Plan. We have all noticed bits and pieces of the propaganda process over the years, but the extent to which we are being manipulated has not been very clear until recently. Nobody wants to admit that we have been had. Many individuals have warned of this attitudinal brainwashing plan over the years, but not until recently has it become so vividly obvious in everything in the media. Recently, David Bay of the Cutting Edge mapped out the six-step attitudinal change plan. This plan is being used in all areas of society to transform this world into fully accepting the satanic, globalist, communitarian way of life. It is used to brainwash the masses into accepting the perverted desires of a one-world society. This includes the rejection of biblically-based Christianity and constitutional freedoms. It also includes the acceptance of wars, slavery, sexual perversions, the murder of innocents, homosexuality, pedophilia, and euthanasia, to name just a few. Here is the six-step attitudinal change plan that is being used to change our thinking to conform to the pop culture of Satan's one-world philosophy. Step one. The introduction of a perverted practice so offensive that it can scarcely be discussed in public. It is advocated by a respected expert in a very respected form. Step two. At first, the public is shocked, then outraged, but the subject is openly talked about. Step three, the very fact that such a thing could be publicly debated becomes the subject of the debate. Homosexuality comes to mind. Everyone was appalled when it hit the public scene, shocked and outraged, but openly talked about it. Then, as it says in step three, the very fact that such a thing could be publicly debated becomes the subject of the debate. The discussion was not the debate of whether homosexuality should be practiced or not. The discussion in the media was how we discuss it and whether we should discuss it. It was not the sin itself. Step four, sheer repetition of the shocking subject under discussion has a gradual numbing effect. We can certainly see that even in churches throughout the world where Christians have become so numb to hearing about, say, homosexuality, for example, that it begins to be accepted within its confines. Step five, people are eventually no longer shocked by the subject. We can say that about many things in the media today. 
such as in our example, homosexuality. And step six, no longer outraged, people begin to argue for positions to moderate the extreme, or they accept the premise, challenging it instead, the means to achieve it. This happened with homosexuality, as you will remember. People shot right on by whether it was a sin or not and began to discuss how it could be accepted in society by the average person. Public opinion works to find a way to make it acceptable to the majority of the public. That is what we are seeing happen. This insidious method of changing the deeply held attitudes of people is being successfully directed towards Western societies as a whole. Anything perverted, anything against God's standards is now being debated today. Let us analyze some of the ways in which this plan is being used to desensitize the values of people around the world, especially in the Western world. We are being systematically manipulated. Our children are at risk because the fresh mind of a child is so easily conformed to popular opinion. That is why schools have become the battleground for this desensitization. Proverbs 1.10 states, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15.33, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. This is another reason why we should put up our defenses toward the world and keep it at arm's length. The needs of government planners are identical in nature, but enormously greater in scope. We have to understand that these individuals who are planning governments today intend to push us further and further and further away from God and more and more towards the glorification of humanity. And sadly, they are slowly succeeding. The mass media, television, radio, magazines, newspapers, and computers, to name just a few, are some of the primary tools used in hardening our children, desensitizing them in their attitudes toward the value of human life. Let us look at some of these. The first one is television. 
the fact that television is a source not actively or critically attended to was made dramatically evident in the late 1960s by an experiment that rocked the world of political and product advertising and forever changed the ways in which the television medium would be used. The results of the experiment still reverberate through the industry long after its somewhat primitive methods have been perfected. I'm going to quote from Joyce Nelson's book, The Perfect Machine. It's a very important quotation because we need to be forewarned about television and its effect. Quoting Joyce Nelson, it appears that the mode of response to television is more or less constant and very different from the response to print. That is, the basic electrical response of the brain is clearly to the medium and not to content difference. Television is a communication medium that effortlessly transmits huge quantities of information not thought about at the time of exposure. When you are watching television, you have no defense against what is going into your mind and what is being registered there. Soon, dozens of agencies were engaged in their own research into the television brain phenomenon and its implications. The findings led to a complete overhaul in the theories, techniques, and practices that had structured the advertising industry, and, to an extent, the entire television industry. Information, not thought about at the time of exposure, became the subject of that industry. As Herbert Krugman, a noted researcher, mentioned, we do not consciously or rationally attend to the material resonating with our unconscious depths at the time of transmission. Later, however, when we encounter a store display or a real-life situation like one in an ad or a name on a ballot that conjures up television experience of the candidate, a wealth of associations is triggered. The function of a display in the store is to recall the consumer's experience of the product in the commercial. You don't ask for a product, the product asks for you. End of quote. In other words, a person's recall of a commercial is evoked by the product itself, visible on a shelf or island display interacting with the stored data in his or her brain. Our internalized media echoes are triggered by products, props, or situations in the environment. 
as real life experience is increasingly replaced by the mediated experience of television viewing, it becomes easy for politicians and market researchers of all sorts to rely on a base of mediated mass experience that can be evoked by appropriate triggers. The television world becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. The mass mind takes shape. Its participants acting according to the media-derived impulses and believing them to be their own personal volition arising out of their own desires and needs. In such a situation, whoever controls the television screen controls the future, the past, and the present. I want to give you another quotation that feels very important. This one deals with women. According to Media Sexploitation by Dr. Key, written in 1976, and I'm going to quote, women are carefully trained by media to view themselves as inadequate. They are taught that other women, through the purchases of clothes, cosmetics, food, vocations, avocations, education, etc., are more desirable and feminine than themselves. Her need is constantly to verify her sexual adequacy through the purchase of merchandise, and it becomes an overwhelming preoccupation, profitable for the merchandisers, but potentially disastrous for the individual. End of quote. North American society and the Western world as a whole has a vested interest in reinforcing an individual's failure to achieve sexual maturity by exploiting unconscious fears that is forcing them to repress sexual taboos. The media guarantees blind repressed females seeking for value substitutes through commercial products and consumption. Sexual repression is reinforced by the media is a most viable marketing technology used by major retailers throughout the world today. Even for men today, we seem to see every other commercial as being for Viagra or some other similar product. Proverbs 13.16 states, Every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool lays open his folly. We are certainly seeing that happen to the youth in Western world today. Proverbs 15.21 states, Folly is joy to him who is destitute of discernment, but a man of understanding walks uprightly. The Apostle Paul warns us about falling into the public opinion trap. He gives us, in a very succinct statement, a very simple contrast of ways to walk through life. Ephesians 5.15 states, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. That is a tremendously profound and powerful statement. And I will show this as we go through the remainder of this Differing Things podcast. Verse 16 states, redeeming the time because the days are evil. 
These are the days that we live in. Evil is being done continuously, and it is being crammed into our minds. The Apostle Paul says that to take heed, to beware, and to be careful is tremendously important. We must make certain that we do heed this. We must give this our undivided attention. It is a command that pulls us up out of the doldrums that television places us in. To what must we pay attention? We are to take heed with respect to this walk of ours, this godly way of life, to see that we walk circumspectly. The word walk is, of course, a characteristic New Testament word used often for the way that we live our lives. It refers to the whole of our conduct, behavior, and demeanor. What the Apostle Paul is concerned about is that we live in such a way that we will always be acting in the light, both in our personal conduct and behavior and in our effect on others. How are we to walk in this world? We are to be imitators of the Apostle Paul, just as he tells us in 1 Corinthians 4.16, in 1 Corinthians 11.1, in Philippians 3.17, in 2 Thessalonians 3.9, to just state four verses. But there are others that we could quote. We are called to follow in his footsteps, to function as he did when he was here in this world. The first thing that the apostle tells us is this. We do it by not being fools, by not being unwise, but by being wise, by manifesting and exercising wisdom. It appears that Paul divides what he has to say here into three main sections. First, what is wisdom? We cannot behave as wise people if we do not know what wisdom is. Second, he tells us that we can be addressed as somebody who is wise. Walk, he says, not as fools, but as wise. Why? Because you are wise. Act as wise people. Third, he tells us how this wisdom, which is in us, manifests itself. Or we could say, we see the results to which this wisdom leads. It means that we have vision and can see the result of our actions. The Bible fundamentally says that the man who is not a child of God and who is not a believer is ultimately a fool. The fool has said in his heart that there is no God. The Christian life is the only sane life according to the inspired written word of God. Insanity excuses crimes of theft, gender confusion, homosexuality, 
along with a host of other corrupt behaviors. The trouble with the unbeliever is that he or she is a fool, lacking in wisdom and understanding. We find the same thing everywhere in Scripture. The Apostle Paul says that the problem with unbelievers is that they have their understanding darkened. They are alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them. Let us look at what wisdom is not in order to define what wisdom is. Wisdom is not merely knowledge, ability, intelligence, or even genius. We can have all of those and still not have wisdom. It is not even goodness. We must not think of wisdom as being merely the possession of knowledge. We must not think of it as merely meaning man has great ability, natural powers, or special talents. A person may even be highly intelligent to the point of being a genius and yet have no wisdom. If wisdom is not synonymous with intelligence and ability, or even with genius and goodness, then what is it? It is the power and the ability to apply all those things. It is the faculty for making use of our intelligence and knowledge, bringing it into relationship with the ordinary practical daily things of life. It is the right application of knowledge, wisdom, is very similar to judgment. We are familiar with the difference between the mere possession of knowledge and judgment. They are not the same thing at all. There are people who know a great deal, who have wonderful memories and remember all kinds of facts, but they have no judgment. Consequently, the unbeliever cannot harness his knowledge, cannot apply it, cannot bring it to bear upon problems. He or she is like a tape recording. They can repeat information, but cannot apply that information without God's Holy Spirit, which helps us to apply wisdom in the things that we understand. This is tremendously important for us in every area of life, but it is supremely important with respect to a godly way of life. Thus, we begin to see why Paul told the Ephesian church, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. We can arrive at a positive definition of wisdom by contrasting it with folly. Keep in mind that we are applying this to the brainwashing that is happening to us through television, radio, music, and the rest of what society has to offer. Back in Ephesians 5.15, Paul wrote, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Paul expects us to take this up, analyze it, think very carefully about it. It is such a short statement that quite often we just gloss over it. How are we to know what a wise man is like? How are we to behave in a wise manner. 
Do not be a fool, he says. Do not behave as a foolish man behaves. Thus, we can arrive at a positive definition of wisdom by contrasting it with folly. What then are the characteristics of the man who is described in the Bible as the fool? A foolish person, an unwise person. Here are some of his characteristics. These are the things that we must fight constantly in order to behave as wise people. And do not be fooled. Believers can act as fools. The first characteristic of the foolish person is that he or she is generally governed by emotions. Everything is estimated in terms of feelings instead of reason. Fools cannot give you reasons. Let me give you an obvious example. It is the kind of person who votes for a politician just because they feel he or she looks nice. There is no real reason at all for voting for this person other than the way that individual looks. What a shallow approach that is. However, it works, especially when television keeps plastering the faces on the screen. The same thing applies all through life. There are so many people who are ruled entirely by their emotions and do not want to use their intellect. There are many churches today that just want happiness and enjoyment. They are there to be entertained, to have a good time. We see this throughout many Western churches. They do not want to be made to think. Life is hard enough as it is, and they do not want to have to struggle with thinking about something serious, such as God's word. They run on emotion only. They have a worship service that can last hours, singing all kinds of songs that have horrible doctrine within them. And yet their teaching service lasts five to ten minutes. Those are foolish people, according to Scripture. Another characteristic of a foolish person is that they are governed by desire. This type of person must have what they like, and only whatever they like is right. They are happy only with things that appeal to them, and they must have it now. They do not have patience. Reason does not enter their thoughts, nor does understanding, only desire. As a result, we see the destruction of marriage. People are being directed and determined by the innate desires, and adultery begins, begins to run amok. The foolish person is the one who is governed by these desires at the expense of everything else. Look at the foolish person from a different angle. The foolish person is always the person who acts and is ruled by impulses and instincts. It is interesting to notice that he generally prides himself on this very thing. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 29 states, He who is slow to wrath has great understanding, 
but he who is impulsive exalts folly. That verse gives a partial definition of foolishness shown in the impulsive person. You never know what he is going to do next. An idea will come, they will act on impulse, and then they will be very sorry later on that they did. Think of that expensive purchase made by an impulse buy of an item that could not be afforded. And the regret that happens when the individual's mortgage payment or rent payment cannot be made on time. The six-step attitudinal change plan is used to convince people to change their lifestyles dramatically. The reason the change plan works is that it appeals to the feelings of people. It stirs their emotions, steers them away from facts. Have you noticed this is true? In the past few decades, virtually everything is being redefined. Men can become women. Women can become men. You can choose your gender. Love is love. And so on. The corrupt leaders to maintain control over their subjects have found that they must sustain a certain level of fear at all times among the populace regarding various issues. Issues such as war, terrorism, environmental destruction, religious upheaval, personal illnesses, and economic crises are just a few of the major ones. Why do you think that the news broadcasts on television focus so heavily on the negative? It is in order to keep people under control. Governments continue to pass laws that restrict freedom and restrict our speech. We saw this in Canada's brutal repression of the freedom truckers last spring. A Western country brutally repressing free speech and the right of individuals to express their displeasure to their government. Eventually, Western countries will ban God himself. Of course, they cannot do this, but they will certainly try. People are encouraged and prodded to voluntarily give up their Christian lifestyle for a counterculture one in which a drastically reduced population maintains a very basic standard of living as seen in most polluted communist countries. There are several specific lifestyles that are being forced upon us and all aid in destroying human life while at one and the same time promoting a different agenda. Let's take a brief look at a few lifestyle changes that are well underway. Lifestyle changes that are being forced upon us, moving our societies away from God, moving our societies away from biblical principles. First, we are being strongly encouraged to, to submit to extreme environmentalism. Exaggerated environmental issues such as ozone depletion, global warming, deforestation, overfishing, and water and air pollution are being used to create an atmosphere of fear. The protection 
of these things is promoted to our children, all while unborn children are murdered by the thousands daily by abortion throughout most of the Western societies. What hypocrisy, but it is all about power and control. Ancient Judah had a problem idolizing the environment and God condemned them for it because of the religious motivation behind the movement. To show the gravity of Judah's spiritual condition, Jeremiah compares it with the, that of exiled Israel, the faithless, backsliding northern kingdom. Jeremiah 3.6 states, The Lord, or Yahweh, said also to me in the days of Josiah the king, Have you seen what backsliding Israel has done? She has gone up on every high mountain and under every green tree, and there played the harlot. Keep in mind that this is spiritual harlotry as is seen in religion, such as what we're seeing today in most of what calls itself Christianity. Jeremiah 3 verses 7 through 10 states, And I said, after she had done all these things, return to me. But she did not return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. Then I saw that all for the causes for which backsliding Israel had committed adultery had put her away and given her a certificate of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but went and played the harlot also. So it came to pass through her casual harlotry that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and trees. And yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah has not turned to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, says Yahweh. Idolatry and immorality seemed trivial to Judah. She gave herself to idols of stone and wood with all their basic fertility and sexual rights. Sacred prostitution was practiced widely. Judah's immorality was obvious to God, but went unnoticed by Judah herself. This is what the environmentalist movement is trying to achieve. Second, we are being strongly conditioned to accept legalization of immorality, and in particular, sexual immorality, such as homosexuality. It is easy to decrease and control a population if everyone has same-sex partners. Daniel chapter 7, verse 25 states, He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time, and times, and a half a time. The context in this section in Daniel is the end of the eon under the rulership of the beast power. 
This end time prophecy says that he will think to change the laws. He changes the immutable laws of God, or at least tries to, by passing his own laws. In fact, all God's standards have been corrupted, according to the Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. God's glory and his righteous standards are being changed now, either by outright laws or by practice. For example, we see today that people can choose what gender they want to be. The same is true regarding Paul's command to honor our fathers and mothers in Ephesians and Colossians. We see a tremendous increase in sheer disrespect for parents. For example, a parent can no longer forbid his or her child from having a sex reassignment surgery because the governmental state has stepped in between them. More bluntly stated, many governments forbid parents to even know what's taking place in their elementary schools. Children can make life-changing decisions while still in elementary schools. Lying is promoted in television shows and commercial advertisements. Liars are made to look wise, while honest people are made to look like fools. Psalm 52.1 states, Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? The goodness of God endures to the eon. Even though man seeks to make laws that outlaw, outlaw God's character, God endures, as does his goodness and his glory. Psalm 52, verses 2 through 5 state, Your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor, working deceitfully. You love evil more than good, lying rather than speaking righteousness. Selah. You love all devouring words, you deceitful tongue. God shall likewise destroy you for the eon. He shall take you away and pluck you out of your dwelling place and uproot you from the land of the living. Selah. Third, we are being strongly conditioned to accept spiritual prostitution. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 28 tells us, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Producers of television shows, movies, and songs have worked for a long time to convince people it is not wrong by making movies like Pretty Woman, which casts a prostitute in one of the lead roles and shows her to appear normal, even moral. Proverbs chapter 7, verses 1 through 27, shows how negatively God views this in the fool who pursues it. The last verse is very strongly stated. Her house is the way to Sheol, 
descending to the chambers of death. That is a pretty pointed and plain and powerful statement. Adultery leads to the destruction of marriage and the family unit. Sexual immorality leads to thousands and thousands of single parent households where children lack a male influence. Yes, it is another of Satan's ways to destroy families. Coupled with this is the acceptance of homosexuality. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10 state, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. There are Christian churches today who are accepting homosexuality within their ranks. And in fact, they are even ordaining openly gay clergy to lead their churches. They profess that they are Christians, but they refuse to obey and follow the Bible. They would rather follow the traditions of men. The first step in deprogramming yourself from mass media is reprogramming your thinking. Freeing yourself from its evil clutches is to recognize that you are indeed being desensitized and brainwashed. Once we realize that, it becomes much easier to resist and things begin to get much clearer. Since God was aware of the struggles and temptations his people would face, he gave us scriptures through our apostle, the apostle Paul, to warn and equip us. Here are two that are worth remembering. Colossians chapter 2 verse 8 states, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Christ's teaching and way of life are recognized for their true goodness by the wise. 2 Corinthians 11 Verses 13 and 14 state, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Satan's deceitful way of life appears good to the fool. Thus, we see the popular opinion and the populace in general flocking to Satan's way of life and to the perversions of this society. 
for the past nearly 2,000 years, Christians have faced beatings, humiliation, torture, and death for choosing to follow God rather than man. Through it all, they were conformed not to human crowds, but to the life and death of Jesus Christ. They knew that their Lord and Savior himself was put to death through the consensus of a crowd driven to murderous hatred rage by the religious establishment. Mark chapter 15, verses 6 through 14 states, Now at the feast, he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. And there was one named Barabbas, who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. Then the multitude, crying aloud, began to ask him to do just as he had always done for them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. Pilate answered and said to them again, What then do you want me to do with him whom you call? the king of the Jews. So they cried out again, crucify him. Then Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, crucify him. You can just imagine the crowd stirred up to a frenzy. We see this quite often when we see pictures of Islamists chanting mindlessly, death to the infidels, death to the infidels. You can just see how easily a crowd is stirred up with such hatred. Mark 15, 15 states, so Pilate wanting to gratify the crowd released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he scourged him to be crucified. Did you notice the irrational responses from a crowd that spoke as one stirred by anger by clever religious leaders? That is the collective mind, driven by negative synergy that makes ordinary human beings set aside their weak moral standards to attack God-loving people. The natural enmity toward God always carries over to his followers. The half-brother of Jesus, James, warns us that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whoever therefore wants to, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. This is a profoundly pointed statement of truth in every dispensation. If we deceive ourselves into believing that we are just fine the way we are, we willfully allow ourselves to be brainwashed by the world because she becomes our friend. Since our friends have a great deal of influence on us, choose your friends very carefully. The Apostle Paul tells us, why this is true. 
the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. Enmity against God, at the very least, is foolish. Once again, God's unchanging word shows that wisdom is the opposite way of the ungodly. Not only must we not take the advice of the ungodly, but we also must enjoy studying God's word and actively meditate on what it says to properly apply the laws and principles of God in our lives. This is why 2 Timothy 2.15 is so important. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That is why so many modern translations change the wording of this verse, from rightly dividing to correctly handling. The corrupt religious institutions want to confuse the Bible student on how to study and apply the word of God to their lives. If a believer tries to apply Israel's program to the body of Christ, they are actually enemies to the cross of Christ, according to Philippians 3.18. So many Christians become enemies by placing themselves under the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ or the 12 apostles, rather than the celestial ministry of Jesus Christ, committed to his apostle, to the body of Christ, the apostle Paul. This descriptive term ungodly is synonymous with foolish. With all what all this amounts to is this the foolish person is one who does not think adequately, he does not think rightly about a subject. In particular, he does not think ahead, he is concerned only about the moment at hand. This is why 2 Timothy 2.15 is so difficult for most Christians today, because most of Christianity has descended into foolishness. What then is wisdom? Positively, the wise person is the person who always thinks. He considers the end. He does not act merely based on instinct, impulse, or desire. He is the person who insists on thought, reason, and meditation. He is the person who thoroughly examines every proposition by which he is confronted or every situation into which he is led. He is a person who first and foremost listens to all the evidence. He holds himself back and listens to the evidence of both sides. He gives the argument a fair hearing from every conceivable angle, and he does so with great patience, keeping in mind that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for, for correction and instruction and righteousness but only when done in light of 2 Timothy 2.15, when it's rightly divided. 
having weighed all that, the wise man relates it all to what God wants in this present dispensation of the grace of God. Even taking his time, having been patient, having gathered all his facts and collected all the evidence, having looked at it completely, sifted it, analyzed it, and collated it, even then, he does not arrive at his decision by himself and immediately. He then takes it and examines it in the light of 2 Timothy 2.15. The secret of wisdom is to be true to God in the way that God wants you to be in the dispensation in which you live. We read earlier that the Apostle Paul spelled it all out. Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 17. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of God is. God bless and good day. We want to thank you for listening to this week's Differing Things podcast. If you would like to get more information about the Bible, please check out our website, www.beacon-ministries.org. Do not forget to join us next week for a new Differing Things podcast.